And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. Today's guest is Anne Hall. Anne had a near-death experience where she encountered Jesus, and now we're going to learn about it. Anne, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much, and I'm glad to be here to share my story. Well, thank you. Well, if you don't mind, can we start on the day your NDE happened and start from there? Definitely. So my NDE experience occurred 30 years ago, actually, um, and that was in the month of October in 1991. I was 15 years old, and I want to give a little bit of um, what my a little information about what my life was like at that time before this incident happened. So at 15 years old, I had a lot of angst. I was very angry with the world, uh, with God. Um, and I had a lot of childhood trauma that was causing me a lot of depression. Um, basically, I was very miserable in my life. I was not a happy camper. And um, because of some of this trauma, these issues I was having, I actually basically turned against God and my religious upbringing. I was raised in a Catholic family and I started rebelling against the church, rebelling against God. Ultimately, I was claiming atheism because I reasoned that, you know, if there was really a God, he wouldn't allow these bad things to happen to me. And because he's not protecting me, I reasoned that Everything I've been taught my whole life must not be true. There must really not be a God. It must be just a bunch of fooey. And I just had the attitude, well, I'm not buying it anymore. And I just basically blocked God out of my life. And so that's kind of how my mindset was at that time. Um, What led to me dying was that um, I decided to trip on LSD. Um, with my boyfriend at the time. And uh, I had never done it before. Um, I took two hits of Purple Haze. um, And I don't think that should have killed me, but um, it did. Ultimately, it did. Um, My boyfriend was fine, who also took that amount. But for some reason, my body just didn't process it like normal people, and it ended up having a fatal um, kind of effect on me. So what was happening before I died, um, uh, my boyfriend and I, we were in my parents' home in the living room. We, um, we were starting to hallucinate. We turned on the TV, watching some of these old-time cartoons, Felix the Cat. So you've got these silly kind of, you know, characters, cartoon characters in this cartoon, and they were kind of marching around in a circle. Maybe they were dancing or something. And then I saw these characters come out of the TV screen and they started doing the circle in front of me in my living room. And at that time, like, it was just very amusing. It was still all fun and games. I was like, oh, ha, ha. I was very aware. I was hallucinating and that what I was seeing was part of that hallucination. And I thought, okay. And then all of a sudden, those characters, they turned to monsters. And at first, those monsters were still just very friendly looking like I would liken it to like um, Sesame Street, like they're not scary, right? Um, But then they got scarier. And then it was like something you might see uh, on a horror movie, kind of scary. And then at that point, I was like, huh, it's like, this isn't very nice. This is not what I want to experience. Why are they getting all scary on me? (laughs) That's kind of what I was thinking. And then those monsters got scarier still. Then they turned to demons. And, um, and then they weren't just going in a circle or in front of me in the living room, those demons were circling around me, like physically around my body. And finally it got to the point where it spooked me. I was scared. I closed my eyes really tight. And so I wouldn't see them, but it didn't really make a difference. I saw them all the same as just as if I had my eyes open 
And they were getting, they were closing in on me. Like they were, they wanted to get me basically. And I didn't understand why. I just understand that that's what they were trying to do. And um, in this moment of just being really panicked, I actually fell back in the chair I was sitting in, in my living room. Um, And at that point, that's when my boyfriend said, okay, we need to get out of here. Let's go outside. Let's get some fresh air. And I thought, okay, yeah, that'll, that's a good idea. And that'll do the trick and that'll kind of get rid of these scary demons. But as soon as we went outside and I'm standing in the driveway, I started to kind of have this jitter, if you will, just kind of shaking or trembling. And my boyfriend told me to stop it. He said, stop shaking like that. You're scaring me. And I wasn't aware of it at first. And I said, no, I'm not shaking, you know. And then finally, I caught myself twitching and I, you know, I couldn't control it. And once I became aware of it, I was like, wow. And then it wasn't but just seconds before I um, started, um, I fell on the ground and I started having a full on convulsion. And my boyfriend, then he still didn't get it that it was really happening. He thought I was faking. He thought I was just being silly. And he finally said, okay, stop it. This isn't funny, you know, but then he said he saw me foaming at the mouth. And when he saw that, he knew it was real and I was not faking it. I was really having a seizure. So also what happened at that time, I fell down and was seizing. Uh, I had two next door neighbors. They happened to be sitting outside on their front step. Um, It was well, then it was my my neighbor's daughter who was older than me then. She was in college and her college-age boyfriend. They saw what was happening and they ran over. And at that point in time, um, I guess I had just stopped seizing. I remember laying on my back. I remember my boyfriend was hunched over me on the right side. My neighbor, the girlfriend, was on my left side and behind her was her boyfriend. And so I had stopped seizing and then (laughs) I remember the conversation. So the the neighbor's boyfriend was shouting at my boyfriend, like across my body. And he's like, well, what, what's happened to her? You know, what's, what, why, what caused this to happen? And he told her, well, you know, we were tripping on LSD. And with that, he became livid, the other boyfriend and was yelling at my boyfriend. How could you let her do this? You don't do, you know, you don't, you don't let your friends do drugs. That's not what you do with someone you care about. And then all of a sudden, you know, he just caught himself and realized, okay, this is not the time for that. This is not the time. And then they were looking at me, their attention went towards me. My boyfriend was saying, um, I'm kind of getting worried. Look at her lips are blue and her nails are turning blue. And really it was, you can't make this up. It was just like a, a really dramatic scene basically. And so they, all three of them were just commenting back and forth. They were all very panicked. Now my boyfriend has learned how to do CPR. Um, his, his parents were in the health profession. I know he knew how to do that. Um, and, um, and so he attempted to feel my pulse. He couldn't feel it on my neck. He attempted to feel it on my wrist he said he couldn't feel it on my wrist. And at that time, while he's trying to get my pulse, the boyfriend, the other boyfriend, the neighbor's boyfriend on the left of me, he has my hand. He's holding my hand. He's saying, okay, if you can hear, if you can hear me, you know, squeeze my hand. I could hear him and I could see him perfectly. I tried to squeeze his hand and I couldn't. And so He's like, oh, gosh, if you can see me squeezing my hand, I tried to. Again, I couldn't. So then he finally thought of, okay, if you can hear me and if you can see me, blink your eyes. And it seems like I just managed to muster up the strength to blink my eyes. And that gave them some relief. They're like, okay, good, good, good. She's with us. And then, you know, I'm sorry, I guess I flip-flopped at first. He asked me those questions if I could see and hear him. And then I, and then I blinked my eyes. And then after that, that's when my boyfriend was trying to feel my pulse. Okay. And then he started panicking because he couldn't catch my pulse on my neck or on my wrist. And then he went and tried my ankle and he couldn't get it. And 
And he was just commenting that uh, I was, my lips and my nails were turning blue. I have no pulse. I'm not breathing. And they're, I mean, they're just like, oh my God, oh my God, what do we do? What do we do? Just, you know, back and forth. And the boy, the neighbor's boyfriend said to my boyfriend, well, do you know how to do CPR? And he says, yeah, yeah, I've been trained. I've never done it. He's like, well, you're going to have to do it now. <laughs> and so he's, I know he was just scared out of his mind that he, he's like, okay, okay, I can do this. And I recall him coming down on me, giving me the first breath and the first pump to my chest. And as like, right after then, the next thing I remember, I was out of my body and I was looking down and I was looking down on the ground and I saw my body lying there and I saw the three of them huddled around me. And, um, you know, the funny thing is, is um, I was just really kind of intrigued with that whole scene there. I didn't actually understand at first that that was me lying there, my body, and that I was out of my body. I, I guess I was like, if you're watching a movie or something on TV, you're just kind of passively watching and you wait for the, the scene to change and you just kind of follow the scene, you follow the story. And that's kind of how I felt like I was. I was just watching and I was just waiting for something to change or, or something. And well, the next thing I knew, something, someone had lifted me up and was carrying me straight up. And it was at an incredible speed. It was really fast. And um, it was so fast and startling. I shouted out, hey, <laughs> because like I was intent on watching that scene, whatever that was. And I was focused on it and I was trying to figure it out. And then all of a sudden I'm just snatched away. I'm like, wait a minute. And, um, but the feeling of how I felt being lifted up, it was so fast. Um, so it makes me think of when you're at six flags on some kind of a ride where they shoot you up really fast. And that feeling where you feel it in the pit of your gut. And it felt like that at first. And then it increased in speed and it was so fast. Words can't describe. And the next thing I know, I was somewhere else and I'm like, they just dropped me off in this place. And it was complete blackness, um, complete blackness. I've never known darkness so dark. And I <laughs> liken it to like when I was a little kid and just close your eyes real tight while you're in your bedroom in the dark and like, that's probably as close I can get to how dark it was. And, um, and then I was just there in the darkness and the silence and I'm like, okay. Like, you know, trying to figure this out, like, okay, where am I now and what's happening and why am I here? Like, I mean, I'm alive, like I have a life. And, you know, then I really started thinking about it. I started putting two and two together and it was not at all obvious, not at all. And I was like, okay, but I just saw myself lying there on the ground and they were all around me like I was passed out or something. So, but if I'm, my body's lying down and they're all around me, then how can I be here? And at the same time, and I'm like, and where is here anyway? I mean, I, I started figuring out, okay, it makes sense I'm out of my body, but this doesn't make sense to me because I, you know, again, being raised in a Catholic family, I always heard stories my whole life growing up about others having near-death experiences, but they always talked about going to the light or seeing some kind of light or angels or something like that. And um None of that was happening. So I'm like, this is weird. And I was like wondering if I'm dead. And, um, and, you know, and then the first thing I did is I actually called on God and I said, God, I need you to answer me now. Am I dead? And then, but suddenly it was like this, like this voice came from somewhere and I don't know whose voice and I don't know from where it came but it was just basically, it was this question asking me, what is my belief? You know, do I, 
I'm, I'm just jumped ahead again. At first, this voice came about, what do you believe? You know, and it was clear to me, like what it was implying, like, do I believe in God or don't I? And, um, and all of a sudden I just pondered it for a second. I'm like, no, I just, in that moment, it all became clear to me. Um, what was true, what was not true, what was real, what was not real. And I had, um, discerned in that instant that the reason why I was claiming atheism was because I was confused and that I had created the story as to why God didn't exist and why everything was happening in my life as an absence of God being there. And I realized that, that, that was just the story that I was telling myself that wasn't really true. And as soon as I acknowledged that, yes, God really is there, God really exists. And I, I was just confused. I I was like, no, 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 I don't, I don't believe any of that. I don't, I don't, I don't believe any of that. Like, don't, you know, don't hold my word on that. And um, all of a sudden then I, I was still just left with the silence and in this dark darkness. And I'm like, okay, but it got me thinking, it got me thinking um, back to, again, as a kid growing up, being forced to go to church every Sunday. um, There is just the saying I recall hearing time and time again, and it, this, this is probably not the exact quote, but this is how I recall it. Um, the priest was saying, so whenever you should find yourself in darkness, Jesus says, call on me and I will be there. I will rescue you. And I don't know why, but that just stuck in my mind, I guess, because I heard it so many times. And so that just came into my memory again about calling on God or Jesus. Um, to me, I'll just clarify, I use the word Jesus and God interchangeably. Um, I know a lot of people make a distinction between them being two different beings. And and I know that in, in the Catholic upbringing, too, they are two different beings, but I always use them interchangeably. So, um, so I thought, okay, well, well, darn it, here I am. I'm in darkness <laughs> and I'm lost. I don't know where I am, but I know this isn't it. I know that I don't belong here because I don't see any light and I don't see any angels and I don't see Jesus and no one's coming to me, telling me what to do or showing me where to go. Like in all those other stories I've heard about. And I just had this interesting feeling or knowing if it were that, um, that I could move. Like I wasn't stuck to just staying still where I was. And I moved over a little bit to my left And it was so fast how quickly I moved and it spooked me because it's not like what it's like in the body. And um, I had a feeling immediately that if I continue to move, that I could go somewhere else and I would end up in just a different realm, if you will, than where I was there at that present moment. And that scared me because I had this feeling or a knowing that if I moved and I went somewhere else, that I could be stuck in a really scary place and I could be more lost than what I already felt like I was. And so I just, I just kind of got angry in a way. I was like, no, I do not accept this. I am not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. And I started calling on God and I said, okay, God, Jesus, you said to call on you if I find myself in darkness. So I'm doing it. I'm calling on you. So I demand that you answer me. Tell me if I'm dead. Tell me if I'm dead. And it was like I was panicking and I was crying. But of course, I didn't have like, you know, the physical body. I didn't have tears, but it was like I I was like crying with spirit tears, if you will. And um, so like a mantra over and over and over, what felt like equivalent to maybe 15 minutes on earth I just said over and over, God, are you there? Answer me. Am I dead? Am I dead? Answer me. Am I dead? You have to answer me because I'm calling you. Answer me. And I was just over and over saying that um, for seemed like a little while. And then out of the blue, (laughs) then I see this really bright white light. And it was Jesus who appeared to me. Um, 
I recognized him right away, even though I have to say he did look a little bit different than a lot of the images that I grew up seeing of him and what we're told he looks like. But um, it was enough to definitely recognize him. And the first thought I thought was, you look a little different in person (laughs) than, you know, what your pictures depict, but I still know it's you. And in that moment, there was just like this comprehension. I want to say he spoke to me, but it wasn't like speaking with words where his mouth was moving. It was just, you know, telepathic. It was sheer just comprehension. And, um, and it was just an exchange of love. I could feel this immense love and compassion. And, um, and then I reciprocated and I expressed, again, without words, just on the soul level, that my love for him. And in that moment, it was just so tranquil. And I was completely calmed. I felt peace. Um, is it, just beyond words. And, um, and so after basically, you know, he said, I love you. And I said, I love you back. And, and, you know, he says, well, you know, I'm a little, you know, disappointed to kind of see you here at this point in time. This is not what we had planned on. And, uh, to answer your question, you know, let's just say you're not in your body now, but you're not exactly dead yet either. Your body's, you know, still hanging on and, Um, you know, it's, you still have the option to return to your body and continue to live your life. Um, or you can not, you know, you can remain here in spirit. And, um, it was like, oh, I pondered that for a second. I thought, well, you know, now that you mention it, um, I don't really fancy going back there. (laughs) You know, I, I think, I think I'll just stay here. And, um, And he says, well, before you make that decision, I want to show you something. And I said, okay, I'll, you know, listen to what you want to tell me or see what you want to show me. And it was like he took my hand and he just like looked up in this direction. And um, it's like we went somewhere together. I don't know where we went, but all of a sudden it was like this big screen like was in front of me and this screen was where I was going to be viewing my life review. And so he explained to me, he wanted to review my life with me. And it was like, I saw it in two panels. So the first panel, it was like, I saw everything in my life from the moment I was conceived until that time, until I left my body and everything that he showed me on the first panel was everything that was negative or painful. Um, that was really not nice. And, um, I, um, I wasn't allowed to remember a lot of the details of what I saw, but I remember very vividly my feeling and my reaction to what I saw then. And so the feeling that I had after watching all that was just, I was like horrified. There's no way I was begging, please don't make me go back there. No, 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 no. I want nothing to do with that. No way do I want to go back there. But then he was like, okay, but I'm not done yet. Let me show you. Let me show you the other side. So then again, I saw my whole life from when I was conceived in that life up until that that point in time. And this time I saw everything that I perceived as being good or positive or beautiful in the world. And again, I don't remember exactly the details of what I saw, but the feeling I had was just overwhelmed at how beautiful (laughs) It was. And um, and then there's another saying that I recall from growing up in the church about how good always triumphs over evil. You know, the good always wins and something to that. And so what I saw is that I saw that that was true. I saw it. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, wow, blown away. And then he showed me something 
else. And he says, okay, if you choose to return to your body, this is what the rest of your lifetime is going to look like. And again, I don't recall the specifics of what he showed me. I recall the feelings and I do recall certain images. So, (laughs) um, uh, he showed me just certain people that I would meet. He he explained to me that I had sold contracts with certain people. And basically, <laughs> these people were waiting for me. They were waiting to meet me. They were waiting to have this experience with me. And he showed me the ripple effect of that. Because he showed me, so like, what happens is when you do one act of kindness for someone else and how you lift that person up and then how in turn they're filled with this beautiful love energy. And then they go out and they do something in a loving um, kind of spirit and they do something positive into the world and they affect somebody else and on and on and on and on. And I got to see like I was above the earth looking down on the earth and I got to see that ripple effect of transformation happen. And it was like the whole earth was just lit up with these lights everywhere. Like, Um, and like a grid, but this was, that was the ripple effect in motion that I was seeing it. And it it touched the whole earth basically. And, um, and of course I was just in awe, like, wow. And, um, you know, um, and then finally I saw this point, you know, where he said, you know, at this point in time, things are going to kind of get a little bit more um, smoothed out, if you will. Things are going to not be as like traumatic or, you know, tumultuous and stuff because my life has been very tumultuous at that point in time. And so, and, um, and I saw that um, at that distant point in the future that I was to be living a rather peaceful life and um, very simple life. And I thought, okay, well, good. I'm eventually going to overcome all these challenges and obstacles. But then I thought, is it really worth it, though? Because, you know, I saw that I didn't have some, I don't know, really amazing credentials like college degree or I didn't, you know, I wasn't like someone who was wildly successful in one aspect or another of my life. I didn't have anything like that going. And it just seemed to me, but why would I go back and experience all this hard stuff? Just so for what? But the reward is just to live a pretty mediocre life. To me, I just didn't seem it was worth it. And I just said, but it doesn't seem like it's really worth it to me. Like, what do you think? And he says, well, you know, here's the thing, you know. Um, so again, he showed me the ripple effect. He showed me the beauty that was there. He showed me, well, he, he showed me that there was going to be this point in time. Um, I, and I feel like this is what we're all living right now in these COVID times, um, how we're all on lockdown. We're like sealed away in our, in our homes, in our little rooms. And I saw myself like that, like I was, it was like I was in jail, but it was a comfortable jail because I wasn't really in a jail. Like um, I was just in my room and um, the image that I saw was I was like looking on this little screen that I was holding in my hand and I was connected with all the world and all those lights that I saw light up and the ripple effect and I, and I was shown that I was going to be living this, this kind of life. And it was just really confusing to me. Um, but he reminded me that this is the reason why initially I had chosen to carnate to this lifetime at this precise moment and you know, time-space realities because of what was happening on the planet at this point in time is that there's this big awakening happening and this is just the beginning of it. And then he told me how up until this point in time, I'm going to be living my life in darkness. And I actually saw a visual and it was like, 
of my body, but I was just a shadow. Like I was just all black, like a black body (laughs) moving around, like not able to see, not understanding anything in a state of confusion. And I was actually horrified. I said, what? Why would I want to go back and live like that? (laughs) You know? And he says, well, you will live like that for quite some time, but eventually you're going to figure it out. And uh, because of the people you have a soul contract with that are going to help you along your path and are going to help you along the way, they're going to wake you up to what is true and what is real. And ultimately, you're going to do the same for others. And, um, and it was with that, I was just in awe again, because I was seeing all the beauty that he had pointed out to me. And I saw all these positive chain of events that were to happen. And that if I didn't go back, if I chose to not go back, I would be basically missing out on all that beauty and all that goodness and all that love. And I wouldn't be able to be an integral part of that transformation and what was to come. So I went from begging, please don't make me go back. Please don't make me go back to that horrible place to the other end. I was then begging to be allowed to go back. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go back. I have to go back. I have to do this. And, um, and honestly, that's the next thing I remember of being there um, at a body. The next thing I knew I was waking up in the hospital and I had all these tubes in me, you know, (laughs) IVs and everything. Um, And um, I woke up in my body and was aware at all these tubes. I was in the hospital and I understood waking up that way that I was in the hospital. I had other traumatic um, incidences where I was in the ER and all that. So to me, it was like, okay, this is a a familiar scenario and, But when I woke up, I just had this feeling like um, I don't need all these tubes in me. And I just started taking them out (laughs) until the nurses saw and rushed over and tubed me back and all that. (laughs) Um, So that was basically it. That was my experience. And, And it wasn't really until... Probably like later on, I want to say that day or the next day, you know that I was really processing everything that just happened. And I, again, it took me a while to put two and two together to acknowledge, Hey, I just had (laughs) like a near death experience. Like I really left my body and I just met Jesus and he just gave me, gave me the choice to return. And I just chose to come back and I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, well, alrighty then. (laughs) And, um, yeah, and so that was it. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. You're welcome. So where are you now as far as your religion goes? Um, I do not claim to be religious. So since that moment, basically, I then accepted Jesus back into my heart and back into my life. But I... Um, I don't adhere to a lot of the teachings um, in the Catholic Church specifically. And then I started doing a little bit more digging around and looking into other religions. And I found that I really didn't feel comfortable. It didn't resonate with me to, I don't know, to follow any one religion. But I just, ever since that moment on, I guess I describe, um, define myself more as being a spiritual person, Mm -hmm. not religious. Um, but I mean, I still have Jesus in my life and, um, and believe in angels and I've, you know, seen angels and I've had other kinds of supernatural experiences in my life. So I know all of that's true and all that's real. And, um, so that's how I feel about all of that still today. Okay. How have you changed as a person due to that experience? I was always very intuitive before that experience happened. But afterwards, I really feel like that was a heightened sense, heightened sense in me. So 
basically I came back and all of a sudden I felt like I had just clarity on a number of different things that I really shouldn't have clarity on given the years and, and my experience in this life. But I just knew things that I otherwise didn't know before or shouldn't have known. And that stayed with me still to this day. Does that experience stay with you still to this day as well? It hasn't faded like a memory? Um, no. <laughs> no, it hasn't. Mm. Um, and well, the interesting thing on that is that, so I was 15, like I said, when this happened, it was the very next year I was in a really bad auto accident. And then and it was another 10 years after that, I had a second auto accident. And basically, I had um, incurred a brain injury. And so with those accidents, I had a lot of memory loss. And it took me a long time to recover that. And I just say that because I do know the difference between what it's like to just black out you know, of your memories and not be able to retain those memories. And then what it feels like to just have a very strong, vivid memory um, still of that experience. Like that was one thing that never faded mm-hmm. through the years, through, you know, the brain injury and the memory loss and that kind of thing. Did you feel like it was more real over there than it is here? Um, I do feel like it was more real. Um, it See, the thing is in, in, in this earth life, you know, we always feel like this is, this is the real life. We're living real life right now. And um, when we die, you know, basically we're going to be unconscious. We'll be in a dream state then. But that was really the inverse of how my experience, what my experience taught me in contrast, um, being out of the body made me feel like this earth life is just a dream. This is the dream state that over there was more real. It sounded yeah. like in your experience that you could almost just think where you wanted to be and you would go there. Yeah, I believe that's how it kind of works. And I think that's in the beginning what scared me mm. because I didn't want to go somewhere that was going to be, um, well, I couldn't get have gotten darker than it was, but I didn't want to go somewhere um, like dark in the sense of being evil, being right. bad, being scary. Right. And, um, I only wanted to go where there was light. (laughs) And so that's why I was just being really stubborn and really adamant. Like, no, I demand that you answer me. And I demand just show me where to go from here. Tell me what to do. Because I know this is not it. This is not it. (laughs) You know, a lot of times people, when they get back, they're like, sad or disappointed because it was so amazing over there. But I think you were more happy to be back because you wanted to, you know, you had stuff that you wanted to do. Is that correct? Yes. And um, although I have to say, I kind of had mixed feelings about that um, because just because I saw this beauty and all this love on the other side, and I was so inspired when I was there seeing it, Like I didn't come back with the memories of all those details. Mm. So I came back just remembering that I chose to come back, but I couldn't remember exactly why. Mm. And when I came back to my life again, everything was still the way it was before I left my body, which was basically to say that it was in a state that was not harmonious. I was not a happy camper. Mm. (laughs) And so you know, um, it didn't like, I didn't magically start being this incredibly happy person. The depression I was experiencing before then didn't magically just disappear. But I would say I definitely felt more uh, confident in, in, you know, just being in my, my own two shoes and felt more assured that I definitely have a role here to play. And I definitely have some work to do here. Did anybody say at the time, wow, and you're different now since you've since this experience. Like you're a different person, or you act different, or anything like that. Well, I want to say mostly no, because <laughs> I don't think I had anyone in my life who, you know, who would have really said anything like that. I mean, I really just kind of kept it to myself. I didn't open up about it, um, except for to that boyfriend that I had that experience with, and um, probably to my parents. Um, 
but that's it. I also was a very shy person. I've always been really shy since I was little. So again, having that experience wasn't something that I felt like, oh, I got to tell everybody about this. No, I felt like this is a really weird experience. And people already judge me and think I'm a weirdo, though they're really going to think I'm a weirdo now. So that was something that I really, I didn't feel comfortable sharing with too many people. Um, And ultimately, I told some people through the years that I felt like I could trust and I, you know, and who I felt would be receptive and maybe wanted to hear my message. I did open up to them and they really appreciated hearing it. But this is the first time in 30 years that I've ever come out and shared my story in a public way. How did your parents and your boyfriend receive that when you told them Did they believe you or just kind of, you know, blow it off? They believed me. Um, yeah, they definitely believed me. Um, they really didn't have too much to say about it other, you know, than just nodding their head and just like, wow. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But I mean, yeah, they're all believers in God and, and uh, Jesus. And so everything that I was telling them to them in their mind wasn't so, it wasn't a big stretch of the imagination, if you will. So do you fear, yeah. do you fear death anymore? No, to be honest, I've never feared death. Never. Hmm. And I especially, especially don't fear death after that experience. No. What do you think inspires you about your experience? Wow. What expi- inspires me the most is just to keep on living. <laughs> to keep on searching, to keep on doing good, to keep on um, trying to improve my life and working on expansion. Because this is something I'll have to admit. Um, I was depressed at the time um, that I had my NDE. And like I said, it didn't magically change for me afterwards. And I've had a lot of bumps in the road, um, a lot of um, tough experiences. And as a result, I basically stayed in a state of being suicidal. I've lived most of my life um, with suicidal ideation. And even though I had that experience, even though I saw this beauty, all this good, and I was inspired to come back, I later regretted that decision. I thought I made the worst decision. I doubted my judgment over there, thinking that you know, it was good. It would all be worth it. And, um, I, (laughs) I really didn't kind of change my tune on that until hmm, maybe in the last five years. Now Hmm. I turned a corner. Yeah. (laughs) What changed in you that made you, made you change? Gosh, you know, it wasn't like one particular thing that happened and it just flipped the script for me. I think it's been just a lifetime of, of just working on loving myself, <laughs> a lifetime of working on healing a lot of the trauma wounds that prevented me from liking myself or loving myself. And this old conditioning that this old story that I was telling myself of that I'm not worthwhile, I'm not lovable and all these negative things. And I finally started um, realizing that those were lies. And I started realizing that it was old conditioning. And I started learning the truth again, and that, you know, I am a child of God, and that I am beautiful, and that I am special, and that I am worthwhile. Um, so it's it's been a long, gradual process. Um, and so I, I just think that over time, eventually, just things kind of started clicking for me, just things just started moving in the right direction, you know, and, and now I'm really ever since, I don't know, I say about five years ago, there's no set timing when it happened, but it's about that time I started, um, I don't know, just, just flipping the script for myself, you know, writing the new story, you know, so. Yeah, I think that's great. What kind of advice would you give to people who are suffering from depression? (sighs) That's a tough one. Um, Because I know there are different reasons why people will fall into a deep depression. Um, 
I would say just do not give up. Just, just keep holding on. Do not give up. Um, because, um, there is, there is so much beauty and there is so much love in the world. In fact, there is so much more beauty, so much more love than there is bad, than there is negativity, than there is pain and suffering. <laughs> I mean, so much more, not even a little bit, not even, you know, and, it, and it's hard even right now as I sit here to even wrap my head around that. And I wouldn't be able to believe it if myself if I hadn't seen it myself. And um, so I actually don't even expect that someone else sitting here listening to me right now who's in the depths of despair to even believe me. I don't, I don't, ex- I don't expect you to believe me, but, um, you know, it's just, I think each person for their own, they have to make that own discovery from the, for themselves. And it's just a, a matter of choosing it, of making the decision to, cho- uh, to go inward and choose to find that setting the intention to find that. And um, if you need to reach out to God or to Jesus, or, or to any spirit guides to help you, then do it because I know they're all standing around just waiting to be called on, waiting for you to ask for their help. Just like what happened to me. Mm. You know, it's like they were waiting for me to ask for that help. And I do know that if I had not called on Jesus while I was in that darkness, he would not have appeared just then as he did. But I had to call on him. I really like how you said that there's so much more love out there than there is negative. And do you think that there is so much more love out there than people can even realize or comprehend? Definitely, definitely. I think (laughs) there are some very, um, let's just say there are some, there are some people living here on this, on this earth who I perceive as just being, very positive people, people who, who've never known depression like I have. They've always been supported. They've always felt loved. They've always felt good about themselves. So they've always lived a life that was joy-filled and that was positive and upbeat. And I want to say, like those people even, who are kind of at the top of the top, um, they can't even fathom how much beauty and how much goodness there is because that's how much there is. It's, it's insurmountable and it can't put into words. When you were over there, did you experience that amount of love from Jesus? Yes. Undeniably. It was just, I mean, there's nothing else like it that I've ever experienced even on I want to say my happiest moment on life and on earth, Uh, my happiest moment um, can't even come close. Doesn't even scratch the surface (laughs) of the beauty and the light and the joy and the love that I felt in an instant of just being there on the other side with Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. Do you have anything that you want to promote? Do you have a website or a class or a book or anything? You know, there's um, a lot of ideas I have about um, writing the story and publishing it. And I've had other encounters and other really amazing experiences with spirit and angels and other um, brushes with death. Not that I actually did die other times, but came very close. And so I thought about writing these stories out, but no, I haven't written them yet. I don't have any kind of website. Um, but I'm open to dialogue and I'm open to speaking with anyone who just wants to talk and who just wants to share or someone who just wants to ask me questions directly. So you can, um, you can find me on Facebook. Um, I'm newly on Instagram and also I have an email address. So it's Anne, A-N-N-E dot N-D-E at Yahoo. Oh, that's cool. So. That's a cool email address. <laughs> Well, I had a feeling that you might ask me for a website or something like that, in which since I don't have that, I decided to create this email specifically so I can connect with anyone who might want to connect with me. That's great. Now, you said that you've connected with angels before. Can you tell us how to connect with angels if we want to? Um, Is that possible? I want to say yes and no. I mean, I don't have like a how-to manual. This is how you do it 
kind of thing. Um, but I can tell you how I've done it. Um, so um, I, I mean, it's just as simple as calling on them. It's just as, like if saying a prayer or in meditation, it's just setting that intention of calling on them and, and then answering. Um, but if there's time, I can share with you a story where I had an angel encounter um, where I believe um, it was an angel that saved my life. Um, and this was in, in a uh, car accident that I had. I don't know if we have time to go into this now or not. I have about five minutes. Okay. So in a nutshell, this is what happened. So I was driving. Um, I was 16. I had only had my license for a couple months, very inexperienced driver, very low confidence. And I was driving on this um, country road and it was all windy and hilly. Um, I was uh, very upset emotionally and I had gotten a fight with, with, with a boyfriend then that I was dating and I was crying. Uh, so I was not driving as carefully as I should have. And then I came around this 90 degree turn on this, you know, windy road. I should have slowed the car down probably to 20 miles an hour. Um, but again, I didn't, I was going the speed limit. I was going around 30, 35. And so when I came across on that turn and um, um because i was going too fast for the turn and just you know my emotional mental state and everything i lost control of the car it flipped it rolled many times um my left arm got tossed out the window the window was rolled down it was summertime and then the car ended up landing on top of my left arm um and i was still in the car so that's at that point in time, that's when I saw um, what I now later came to understand as the angel encounter, but she looked just like a regular person. And it was a woman who came up to me. I saw her out of my peripheral vision. She walked up the road towards my car. She called me by my name. She says, Anne, give me your right hand. And I gave it to her. She squeezed my right hand and she told me, you're going to be okay. I'm going to go call for help. And I'll be right back. And I, I, you know, she made me really calm in her presence. And I said, okay, okay, that sounds good. Okay. I mean, I was in shock and I didn't know any difference. So as soon as she let go of my right hand and I saw her turn around to start walking away, you know, to go get help, I, um, I started panicking and I actually started um, shouting at her and cursing her <laughs> for leaving me. <laughs> like, don't leave me. <laughs> and, um, and, and then I blacked out. But the next thing I knew, I was out of my car. I was sitting um, several, I don't know, like maybe a yard or so away from my, my car. The car was still on its side. Um, but this lady, um, she had me, um, she was sitting, um, you know, crisscross in the middle of the street, you know, and I was sitting in her lap. And basically, she was like, like, you know, coddling me and she was stroking my hair and soothing me. Um, and also now, cause it was summertime, I had a beach towel that was in the back seat of my car. She had that towel and it was wrapped around my left arm. The one that had, um, gotten pinned underneath the car to, to stop it from bleeding. And, um, and in that moment when I, you know, opened my eyes and I realized she was holding me, she was soothing me. I didn't feel any pain. And I, I was calm. You know, I felt peace. I felt so much peace and calm. So she explained to me that she had called for help and help is on its way. And then the next thing I knew, I saw a helicopter come and um, this was the rescue helicopter that was coming for me. And um, I saw the, you know, the EMT, they came out and I saw the gurney, they came out to, to load me up on the gurney. And as they were lifting me, placing me on the gurney, um, that woman, she, she lifted me up to help them, um, to help them put me on the gurney. And um, anyway, then the next thing I knew, I must have blacked out again. The next thing I knew after that, I woke up in the helicopter ride and I, um, you know, I didn't recall having been in the accident and the EMT explained to me, you know, you've been in a really bad accident and we're air transporting you now to the hospital and um, your left arm is severely injured. And um, 
I didn't believe it. I said, that's not true. And she says, well, if, if you don't believe me, then go ahead and, and look at your arm and you'll see, you know, the damage that was done. And um, um, I, I know I was resting with my, my right hand was over my left hand, I think just instinctively, you know, covering the wound kind of thing. So I lifted up my right hand. And um, when I looked at it, it was just, it was just red dripping with blood, like, like some kind of horror movie, you know, and I went into shock and I started screaming and I know they came at me with the oxygen and (laughs) put me out. So the next thing I remember after that is uh, waking up in the hospital and um, one of the investigators there um, on the case, he came back and um, I guess this was like the next day or Maybe a few days later, I'm not really sure on the time. I just know that at that point, they told me I had already had multiple operations on my arm because they they saved my arm. I They thought they may have had to amputate it, but they ultimately ended up saving it. And so anyway, but he wanted to ask me about who who called for help, who rescued me, because that's something that they really couldn't figure out like between the police department and and everything like that. And, um, and so I told them, Oh, well, that's easy. You know, this, this woman that I saw, you know, she went and uh, she found me and she called for help. And, and, and then he says, um, looking at me, like he's not really understanding or believing me. He says, yeah. Um, are you sure there wasn't somebody else, like somebody you know that might have called for you or something like that? And and I'm like confused too because I'm not understanding why he won't just accept my answer. Like, no, I'm like, no, I just told you, like it was this woman. So anyway, he just said, okay, thank you. You know, I'll, I'll come back and talk to you in another few days. So I overheard overheard him um, talking to someone else in my room saying that, yeah, she must be really out of it still because of the morphine. She just, you know, she's not really making sense anyway. So, um, so, and, and, and the, so he came back a few days later to question me because yeah, they just assumed that I was making up some story because I was on morphine and you know, all that and didn't remember. So he came back a few days later to ask me the same question again. What happened? Do I know who called for help? And I told him, yes, it's the same thing I told you before, though, about that woman. And I I had remembered her vividly in detail and everything about her. So and he said, well, look, you know, we went and we even spoke to the 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 team members that were there in the rescue helicopter. And we told them what you said, that that lady was there you know, helping you onto the gurney and everything. And they told us that there was no woman there. Um, they found me, according to them, they found me laying um, in the street, on the side of the street and out of the car. And this is the puzzling thing is that nobody knows who got me out of the car because given the fact that the car was flipped over on its side and my arm was pinned underneath the car, I mean, it would have taken a tow truck or like a fire truck, some something like that to to lift the car off of me. And then they were explaining it would have had to have been lifted off with such precision and such care so as not to basically rip my arm off. And how is it that how is it that I got out of my car? Because they told me the fire department, the police department and, and whoever else, they were not notified. They had no clue. So it's a mystery. Nobody knows how I got out of the car. Only I know that woman. And she said she was going to get me help. She said she was going to get me out. And she was there, um, you know, um, coddling me, you know, had the towel wrapped around my arm so I didn't bleed out and everything. But, you know, the EMT, they did. They said they didn't see her. And, and, and so, I mean, so to me, in my mind, and also in that of my family, when they heard that story, um, they all believe it was an angel, that it could have been no one else. <laughs> Maybe it was your guardian angel. Exactly. I think so. All right. And before we finish up here, do you have one last positive message that you can share with everyone? That's a good question. Um, I would say 
I think the main message to my experience is probably going to be addressed to those who are maybe questioning their faith or wavering their faith and those who flat out don't even have any. Because at the time that I had my NDE and I met Jesus, I was claiming to be atheist. I was completely denying him. And to me, um, my experience um, was a testimony of what is true and, and what is real. Um, so hopefully I can impart that with other people who, again, might be, um, I think it's a common theme for a lot of people. I've heard it time and time again, where they suddenly decide that they don't believe in God. They don't believe in a higher power because no loving God would allow all these horrible bad things to happen to them. And I think that my my story is a testimony that, yes, indeed, there is a loving God. Um, and, and even though that bad things can still happen. Why do you think bad things still happen? I call them bad things here while I'm in the human form because I perceive them as bad. But even though I do that, I have later learned a lot of these like bad experience were actually blessings in disguises because through these hard experiences, excuse me, through these hard experiences um, have come valuable lessons that our soul uh, cannot learn otherwise. Um, I see that now. It's taken me all this time and so many years to really see it this way um, as a blessing and, and not a punishment. Hmm. But I wouldn't be the person I am today had I not experienced all the hardships that I have. All right, Anne. Well, I've run out of time, but thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. I really appreciate you, and I wish you the best. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. You have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara Podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the Join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.